This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. I want to thank uh, Pastor Larry. Can someone give, me, give Pastor Larry a round of applause? Yes. Uh, thanks, guys. He did an amazing job last week, and what a powerful word that was. Uh, I, I love it because Larry can come and say things that no one else can because he uh, is a retired pastor and he can get away with it. So uh, how many were challenged by the word last week? Uh, challenged by this series, right? Um, I just want to bring, draw your attention real quickly to a few things as my iPad is... Uh, Remember that BGMC is right around the corner, our big BGMC offering, and I want to say go boys, and Sarah's going to be joining me here in a second, so don't listen to what she has to say at all, but everyone say go boys. Whoa, come Men, you just got demolished. Can we have it one more time? Men, come on. There you go, right? Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, I also want to remind you, virtual groups are right around the corner, and we've had some comments of going, well, Pastor Kevin, why are we doing virtual, virtual groups? Masks have been removed. When we signed up for virtual, when we began the process, we knew that it was going to be a possibility that the mask would be removed, but we didn't know for sure. And how many know that there has not been anything for sure in our culture for a long time? Uh, so we are going to step into virtual groups in the month of April, but I guarantee uh, we're progressing forward, and we're going to have connect groups hopefully in the fall. Everywhere everything stays normal, we're going to have connect groups in homes where it should be. Amen? And so that's what we're... So, so be in support of it. You know, don't wait until then. If you've not been on a connect group, can I tell you, your life is going to be challenged as well, even though you're, you're not in the same room, you're in the same presence of. And uh, God is able to do amazing things. We've seen that over this last stint of time. Uh, Sarah, come join me. Everyone give Sarah a round of applause. I have the honor and privilege uh, to share the pulpit with Sarah today. We are going to team teach, team teach this message, and uh, uh, I, she is a powerhouse. If you, how many, how many do not? You may know who Sarah is, but how many don't know Sarah? You've not had a conversation with Sarah. I want to challenge you. Uh, as a result of today, you're going to see a little glimpse of who she is. She is an amazing young woman, amazing young leader, uh, and we have the privilege of having her on our staff. And I encourage you. Would you connect with her? Would you find an opportunity to get to know her a little bit better? You don't, you're going to see her around, but she's with the kids a lot, and she's doing an amazing job with that team. But uh, lean into her life. Would you do that? Right? Yes. Yeah? yeah? Good? And what do you want to say about BGMC? Um, uh, no, just <laughs> This is my first time up here, and you're really going to talk over me already. Right. Like, girls are going to win, so that's all I have to say. Come on, guys. We won last time. We won last time. One time. So guys, One time. Wow. She's been mentored by Allie, so she is <laughs> playing the long game. Go ahead. Uh, we're excited about this, this, this message today. Uh, it's been fun working with Sarah. It's been fun teaching Sarah in college, but fun working with her with this message. And we're excited about today. And this series, as we've been talking about playing the long game, is uh, taking the necessary steps to set yourself up for long-term success. Uh, when you think about your life, how many would say that you are endeavoring or wanting to set your life up for long-term success? 
whether, whether, it's, whether it's spiritually or physically, emotionally. We're trying to set ourselves up for long-term, long-term success. And today what we're coming to is we're continuing on in this series to talk about playing this long game. Not the long game of the finite long game, but the infinite long game. This infinite, infinity aspect of this, the, the process of what God is calling us towards. The series in a sentence is that we are living in infinite lives, but playing by infinite. We're playing, excuse me, living finite lives, but playing by infinite rules with an eternal purpose at stake. And I think if if you can take anything away from this series is for you to remember that the life that you and I are living is not about the 70 years that we have on this earth, even though that's important. It's about what's after this. It's about the long game that you and I are playing and uh, so we've been here, we've heard about the long game, we've heard about the coach and the importance of the coach, we've heard about the fourth quarter with, with Sasser as he came and talked about perseverance, we heard last week about uh, the, the being disqualified and that was the concept of, of contentment. Uh, anybody ever, are you challenged about contentment? Everyone ever, anyone ever get discontent, you know, in life? Great, great message. And today as we step in, we want to talk about uh, who is our opponent? As we're playing this game, who is it that is... His playing against us. Um, the long game can be determined by how prepared we are for the opponent that we face in life. And we could come and we could dialogue a bunch of different opponents. We could dialogue the opponent of insecurity. Anybody ever face insecurity? We, can, we could dialogue the opponent of others in our lives, of what they might say about us. But today we want to talk about the, 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 the bigger power, the ruler uh, that, that does direct a lot of those things. And that opponent is Satan. Uh, if you've ever played or observed sports, you always know that there is a, an opponent, right? Otherwise, it's not a game. You know, otherwise, you're just out there playing yourself and winning, right? You know, it's like no one's opposing you. But I want to tell you, you know, that in, in sports, there's always a rival. How many had a high school rival when you were in high school? There was a team across town that was your high school rival. In my story from Missoula, Montana, I went to Hellgate High School, and the rival across town, even though there were multiple high schools in town, there was one rival, and that was Sentinel High School. Uh, we, were, we were from the, the Rattlesnake Valley, and they were from Snob Hill. So there was, a, there was a, a rivalry, you know, and I can tell you that when a game would happen uh, between those two, can I tell you that all of our, it's like every one of our student body came out. The electricity in the gym was just amazing. Remember those moments, that rivalry? Uh, and we all have rivals. We all have opponents. But as Christians, we have a rival in our life. We have an opponent in our life that even though we don't see that rival, uh, even though we would like to make a man or a woman or a person our rival and this person that we're trying to contend with, the, our biggest rival, our biggest opponent is the enemy, and he wants to defeat us. Um, and I ask you today, do you know who your opponent is? Do you know who your opponent is? Uh, turn to your neighbor and ask him, who's your opponent? Now, hopefully you didn't say you are. You know, if you're married, hopefully you're not going, you're my opponent. Uh, Naomi's pointing at Barry back there right now going, he is the opponent. And we can all say amen to that. Uh, Barry's going to get even. He's going, wow. Um, Anyway, I don't know if you have heard of Orson Welles. Maybe some of you that are older like I am have known so. But he wrote a, a... radio drama called The War of the Worlds. How many are familiar with the the line, The War of the Worlds? Maybe you've seen the newer one with Tom Cruise in it. 
But there was a, a time back in 1938 uh, that every Friday or every Sunday night there was a radio dramatization that would come out and there was this play that would take place and there, was no, there wasn't TV at that moment so everyone gathered around the radio to hear what was going to come out as a brand new story. And it was in 1938 the radio broadcast began as normal and then took a sudden turn with a, showing, a show being interrupted by a news announcer bringing startling news of detected explosions in space, believing that they were taking place on planet Mars. The normal show continued, and then again the announcer broke in and declared there was a larger, large meteor that was, had crashed down in New Jersey. Soon the announcer began to go on and tell the story of that we have been invaded by Martians. He began to describe these characters and describe these, these beings. And in the process of all that, where you and I might smirk today, where you and I might think how silly, how ridiculous, can I tell you that it was a believed storyline? People were up in arms. People were afraid. He began to report that 7,000 National Guard were killed and that these creatures were walking around on, on uh, mechanical legs and all of this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden at the end, it was revealed that it was a drama. We hear this today and we go, how fictitious is this? How ridiculous is this? We step back and go, are there Martians? Oh, how stupid. Are there aliens? Oh, how stupid. And many of us as Christians can even come back and go, is there an enemy of our soul? Oh, how stupid. And I want to tell you today, I don't want to call you stupid, but if you don't believe that there is an opponent and a rival, you're not very smart. <laughs> you thought I was going to say you're stupid, right? But today in our news, as we see the horrific uh, destruction from the war that is taking place in Russia and Ukraine, we see the lives that are being demolished, we see the buildings that are being torn apart, we see the lives that are being killed and separated from families. Uh, some are saying that this is World War III. Today I don't want to talk about World War I, World War II, World War III. I want to talk about the War of the Worlds. The war that we are all encountering, the war that we're all experiencing. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it's the natural versus the supernatural. Chuck Swindoll says this, that when we began the Christian life, we didn't stroll onto a happy playground or competitive sport field. We stepped onto a harsh battleground. Though we don't hear bombs bursting in the distance or bullets whizzing past our ears or blood and guts all around us, we live every day of our lives on a spiritual battlefield. And we make, make no mistake, Satan's snipers have us in their crosshairs. They know us intimately. They've studied us for years. They are familiar with our strengths and fully aware of our weaknesses. They are masters of psychology and experts on human nature. They know their prey far better than we know our devilish predators. Whether you are young or old in Christ, spiritually strong or weak, well-trained or are just a novice, Satan and his emissaries have one goal for you, and that is destruction. Their one great hope is not simply to cripple you, but to completely decimate you. Satan would like nothing better than for us to picture him as this little red imp that's sitting on one shoulder and an angel sitting on the other shoulder, whispering naughty areas, ideas into our ears. As long as we think of him as a pesky little pest then we can that we can brush away like a mosquito, we won't, we won't realize just how insidious he is. Today, as we come, do you know your opponent? Do you realize that there is a war of the worlds that is raging and you are a target? Do you realize that there is someone that is out there that is against you? Many times we avoid this topic because it can be lost in the fact of the extremes, 
of, well, no, that, that's too extreme, that that doesn't exist, or we can go, there's, there's, demons aren't present, or there's a demon under every bush, rather than realizing that there is a middle ground and that there is a spiritual war that we're fighting. There's also another place that we can, uh, that we can mistake is that we will underestimate or overestimate the power of our enemy. When we give him too much credit or we take away credit, we're underestimating and overestimating. We need to be careful to realize who we are in Christ. And a statement that I want you to remember today is that we can't win the game that you and I are playing if we don't understand who we are playing. You may know about Satan. You may have heard his name. You may have watched a movie, a Netflix show. You may have seen whatever it is about demons or whatever it is that's there. And you might think that it's some ethereal thing that's taking place. But if you as a believer, as a Christ follower today, as an individual, don't know who your opponent is, you will always lose because you're not going to be aware of how he plays. Your opponent is not imaginary, but he is unseen. And many times because he's unseen, we think he's imaginary. Because he's unseen, we don't, we don't step into this battle and this war field that we're called to. And Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Everyone say, not against flesh and blood. Our, nat- our natural behavior in our culture today, and we've watched it over the last two years, is who's our opponent, who's our rival, who are we against. Let's pick out a person, let's pick out a party, let's pick out what's taking place, and they're our enemy. Can I tell you, we are, we're falling right into the devil's trap. He wants us to fight, he wants us to fight one another. We don't struggle against flesh and blood, we struggle against rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil. So when we come today and we talk about this spiritual war that we're talking about, it's not imaginary. It is unseen. Sometimes we, are, we have a spectator that we can see in and we can feel the effects of. But can I tell you, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against our neighbor. We're not fighting against a political party. We're not fighting against another denomination. We're not fighting against our husband or our wife or our parents. What we need to be wrestling against is this organized hierarchy of evil that is in, in, in our midst. Kent Hughes says this on his book of about the book of Ephesians. He says, Satan has no conscience. Satan has no compassion. Satan has no remorse. Satan has no morals. He feeds on pain and anguish and filth. When we think of our lives and we think of all that's going wrong, we think of our culture and all that's going wrong, can I tell you the one that is behind all this is this evil one with no conscious morals and character. The one that's behind all of it feeds off of your pain and your filth and, your, and the things that you're struggling with. Our problem that we face today is revealed to us by the Barnum Research Group. They've done multiple extensive surveys all throughout the years about this idea and the various categories of about Americans and what they believe about Satan. I want you to hear this. 58% of adults, just general, 58% of adults say that the devil is not a living being, but just a symbol of evil. More than half of our culture today does not believe in the fact, we're not talking believer or non-believer, we're talking general population. 45% a professing born-again Christian. How many are a professing born-again Christian? That you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he reigns in your life, that he's your Lord. Amen? 
45% of professing born-again Christians deny Satan's existence. Is that startling? 68% of Catholics said the devil was non-existent. 55% of Protestant mainline and non-mainline denominations denied that the devil exists. As I read these statistics, I come back and go, that alarms me. That should alarm you. It should alarm us as a body of believers. Because we can come and we can believe that God exists and that God is who he says he is. But if there is not, if we, don't, if we believe in God and we don't believe the entirety of the fact that there is an opposition to him, then we're in trouble. It causes me to realize this statement that John Stott gives us is that wobbly Christians... Wobbly Christians are those who have no firm foothold in Christ, and they are easy prey to the devil. When you think about your life, would you just imagine, would you think about this statement, have you fallen prey to your opponent, the devil, in the last month? Have you fallen prey to the devil, your opponent, in the last year? Have you fallen prey to the devil, your opponent, in the last two years? As you begin to look at your life, would you label yourself... As a wobbly Christian, are you fighting this battle? Are you engaging with the opponent? And the goal of every Christian is to identify with those plans, identify and to discover, and that's what our plan is today. Mm -hmm. Help me. Yeah, so if we're thinking about that question and we know who our opponent is, it's important that we understand how we fight. And 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 gives us some context to that. And that says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So in the same, that we, in the same way we just talked about how our battle is not flesh and blood, the way we fight the battle is also not with worldly weapons. And the author of 2 Corinthians, who also wrote the book of Ephesians, um, gives us context on how we should fight the battle. And just for some background, um, the book of Ephesians is the 10th book in the New Testament. And it's one of the letters that Paul wrote um, to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a huge city, and it was a center for things like travel and commerce. um, And it was a place of um, just like major worship for Greek and Roman gods. And so that's the kind of the context that um, Paul is writing to in this. And um, he actually didn't write the book of Ephesians until after his ministry journey. And while he was writing this book, he was um, imprisoned by Rome. And so this book is divided into two halves. Chapters one through three talks about the story of the gospel and um, and how we live our lives transformed through Christ, right? So because of the gospel, our lives are changed. Um, Chapters four through six Um, Paul talks about how the truth of the gospel should affect how we live our lives. So in result of the gospel and because of who we are through Christ, the way we live our lives changes. It has to change, right? Um, So I want you guys to think about this question. The way we fight the battle is our choice. If Satan takes his goal of killing, stealing, and destroying seriously, how seriously should we take our choice in fighting the battle? So in um, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul gives us an analogy using the Roman soldier's armor, which is what he was surrounded with in, in the time of him writing this. And it helps us understand how we should choose to fight the battle before us. 
Um, so this is kind of the, the focus we're going to have today, and it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your your ground and after you have done everything stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with the feet with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so this this verse gives us a lot of context on how we should fight the battle if we're going to make the choice to fight it through the lens of what Christ has done in our lives. And that's what we're going to be going through today. Let's go off script a tad. Can I do that? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. Put her on the spot here. Her eyes got big. She's like really fearful. She's starting to sweat right now. Uh, Sarah, what, when was a time in your life that you actually realized that there is a spiritual war that's taking place? Mm. Can you think of a time? Yeah. She'll kill so... me later. <laughs> During Oyama, um, which is the program that I went through with um, Damien and Brittany, and um, there was a time where I had not seen my mom in 10 years, and I got a text on Facebook Messenger, a great way to find this out, that my mom actually um, had been diagnosed with cancer, and I had not seen my mom in 10 years, you know, so I was like 20 and making this decision, okay, am I going to fly out and make amends with her, or am I going to... Um, shy away from that and like almost regret it later. And thankfully she's, um, she's in remission now, which I'm really blessed for. And I have the opportunity to continue building that relationship. But if I hadn't stepped into this and I had been scared of the battle, I would have completely missed out on a huge opportunity to minister to her, but also like have that relationship with her. I remember you, you going and the, and your success story coming home that you, that it was a real breakthrough moment for you to even step in just to to mentor, in a sense, as a daughter to her. Thank you for sharing that. I love this story, or this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, um, where, how Paul begins this whole thing. He says, finally, brothers, what? Be strong. Everyone say it. Be strong in the power of his might. Be strong in the power of his might. And he starts this entire section of Scripture not based upon your might and your power and your ability to win a battle, but the only way you can win this battle is based upon the power of his might. And so our point number one today that we come into is that we must recognize that Christ has already won this war that we're in. We must come from our understanding, and, and you know, as I was preparing, we were preparing this message, we realized that point number one is immediately relieving the tension of our introduction, that we have this opponent that is so evil, but for us to be able to go and unfold the rest of this message, you have to understand that the, that the war that you are partaking in has already been won, even though the battles will rage, and sometimes you will win a battle, and sometimes you will lose a battle, amen, you do that, right? That... Christ has already won the war. And so that's how we can come and we can function and we can fight because it's his mighty power. Everyone say it. His mighty power. Uh, remembering that, G, that in 1 John it says that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. So when we come and we dialogue this battle that's raging, we are not to, re, we're not to, uh, to respond with fear 
We're to respond with courage. We're to respond based on the fact that the war has been won. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ has already won this war. There are many, many battles that we will experience, but ultimately, the war is done. The war is over. Uh, and we can see that it, he, he won that war, that, that victory that he won took place twofold. One was as a man, and we can see that uh, Christ won victory as a man when he was tempted. When he was, it says in Matthew chapter 4, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he was tempted by the enemy. You know, I think it's so fascinating that we can come back and go, it wasn't the spirit that tempted him, it was the spirit that led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And it says to be tempted by the devil, after, for last, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and it says that the temp- tempter came and tempted him three times, and the, Jesus responded with the word of God. He said, it is written. Everyone pray, say it with me. It is written. Can I tell you today that your number one key in overachieving, or overcoming is going to be, it is written, and we're going to get to that in a second. Um, And Jesus, finally, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, and the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So we realize that we can come today when we talk about this concept of our opponent and this battle that we're fighting, that you and I have victory, not just because Jesus is God, but because Jesus overcame Satan as a man. So for you and I to be able to come and go, well, that's because he was Jesus, and he was God that he was able to do no, just like you and I are man, we can overcome. We can, we can battle. We can stand in victory. Not only did he have victory as a man, but he had victory as God. In Christ 1 and Hebrews chapter 2, it talked about that it was through his death that he might destroy him, destroy Satan. In Colossians 2.15, it says that he stripped off the, uh, strip, stripping off the rulers and authorities. He made a display of them openly, triumphing over them. Uh, one of the ones that stands out most to me is 1 John chapter 3. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Today, you and I stand in the power of our God, of our Jesus, who has destroyed the devil's work. It's not something for us to walk in fear about. Today, we can look and we can see Jesus as the ultimate survivor. He's the one that was the ultimate overcomer. He was the one that endured in the wilderness. He was the one that endured the cross, but yet he survived, yet he overcame. I think of this idea, and we're going to play off this concept of survivor for the remainder of our service, and uh, uh, Damien's loving it here because he's like a survivor geek back there, but I want to tell you, season 42 of Survivor began last week. Anybody watch season 42 of season, of, for, um, season 42? Uh, Survivor began in 2000. How many saw the? How many have seen the first one, Survivor Borneo? Right? Okay. We didn't. We didn't start Survivor until second season, but we went back and we watched first season. Uh, but uh, it was this 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 game about deceitful alliances and opposition, and the goal is to win. The goal is to survive. The goal is to overcome, regardless of the cost to your teammates. As long as you're good at the end. It doesn't matter how anyone else fares, right? Can I tell you today that what's so opposite of Jesus versus Survivor, even though I like the show, is that Jesus is for your success, not just his own success. Jesus has done what he's done so that you can succeed. And there are three words that Survivor is known for, and that is to outwit to outplay and to outlast, to outwit and to outplay and to outlast. And today, Jesus gives us the ability and shows us how to outplay, 
to, to outwit and to outlast. And Sarah, you're going to start us off with the first one. Yeah, so point number two is Christ has given us the power to outwit our opponent. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Putting on the, uh, putting on the armor of God puts us in the position to outwit the enemy. And the word outwit means to um, defeat by greater ingenuity. And God has given us the power to outwit our opponent, but Satan does not play fair, and he also attempts to outwit us. And um, the Greek word for Satan's attempt to outwit us is um, pleonecto. Can you guys say that? Pleonecto. That's kind of an interesting word, but Greek is pretty cool. That's true. Yeah. This word means to take advantage of, exploit, and cheat. Satan is the master of deception, and he makes us think he's on our side when really his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, which makes him not on our side. He's the complete opposite of that. And he can identify, target, and exploit your weaknesses before you even are aware of them yourselves. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. This verse is kind of cool because um, different translations use different words and phrases for that. So the NLT um, uses the word outsmart, and the New King James uses the phrase to take advantage of. So that kind of gives us more context on, like, um, the goal of our enemy, right? And so we are living through a battle, right? But we are also aware of the devil's schemes. The Bible says that we're aware, right? He can't outsmart us because we know what he's doing. And the enemy's weapons are flaming but are feeble to those who are in Jesus. And putting on God's, God's armor protects us from these devastating assaults. The enemy likes to study our weaknesses and plot our attacks accordingly, but Satan is not able to outwit us because the war, the war is won through Jesus. But then that begs the question, how do we outwit him through our battles? In order to do that, we have to take a defensive stance when it comes to fighting the battle, and we prepare ourselves for each moment of, a, of attack. So we have to take a defensive a stance, and we're called to put on the armor of God and walk in his victory, like this verse is talking about. Um, Ephesians uh, 6.13 says, Because our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. This is a defensive mechanism, right? We don't wait until the battle is right in front of us to prepare for the battle. And so this verse gives us five pieces of armor um, that God gives us and allows us to take a defensive stance and have protection when the enemy attacks. And so the first one is going to be the belt of truth. Can you guys say the belt of truth? I'm a kid's pastor, so I might make you guys repeat things. <laughs> the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth of God, which is God's word, is what holds the rest of our um, weapons together. In, in the Roman um, armor, right, it wasn't like this cute fashionable belt that you buy on Shein or on Amazon, right? It was like this huge like, piece of metal, like leather, like I never would be seen wearing one of those. But it had like these flaps, right? And it was what held the rest of the weapons for, for the, um, the Roman soldiers. And so the, the belt of truth, God's word, God's truth in our lives is what holds the rest of our weapons. God also gives us the breastplate of righteousness, and the breastplate of righteousness refers to the righteousness that was purchased for us by um, Jesus at the cross. And wearing, this, um, wearing the breastplate of righteousness creates a lifestyle of seeking the truth and God's righteousness on our lives, right? We, we 
we strive to, to live that out. We don't wait until the battle comes and we're like, oh, I should probably pray. I should probably seek out the right thing to do. No, we, we set ourselves up so we're living in it before the battle hits. And when we do that, we're able to stand righteously and withstand attacks from the enemy. Paul also tells us to have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. And having our, our feet secured means that we have peace and assurance that we are God's children and nothing can change that. In the Romans armor, they had like huge spikes on the bottom of their, their shoes, like four heels and one, I guess, with like a nail on the bottom. And um, they were able to stand firmly, right? And so when we have peace with what God has done in our lives and in what we read about in truth, that gives us the peace and the assurance that we know that because God has won the victory, we can stand firm in each of our battles. We also wear the shield of faith for protection. And the Bible says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and insurance in what we do not see. When we believe God and take him at his word, our faith protects us. We also have the helmet of salvation, and this is the fifth piece of um, defensive armor that we have. And wearing the, the helmet of salvation means we live every day focused on eternity. When we were saved, um, Christ gave us the helmet to put on, right? And so salvation protects us from each attack of our enemy, and it's, it's incredible, right? It goes with the truth. If we don't have our salvation, then our entire, um, our entire foundation is off, and we can't withstand the battle. So those are all the pieces of armor that Christ has given us to defend, to put, um, to put on, to outwit our enemy. So cool. Uh, so because Christ is one, he's given us the power to outwit, and he's given us these abilities so that we won't be outwitted. Uh, for you to not be outwitted, you have to, again, be aware of our enemy. We have to know what his tactics are. Uh, point number three that we have today is Christ has given us the power to outplay. Everyone say outplay. outplay. To play better than. That's the whole goal is to play better than. You know, when we talk about, when I think of playing better than, I think of uh, video games and everyone in this room can play better than me at a video game. Uh, I, I, I just die. You know, I mean, Sasser shoots me, Trenton shoots me. You know, I mean, you can tell that they're really good friends. They love me dearly because they just shoot me, you know, right? Uh, but can I tell you that that's what the goal of the enemy is? He's, his goal is to outplay you, but because Christ has won the war, He's given us this ability to outplay our enemy. Uh, and part of this, we go back a little bit to where, to overlap a little bit with Sarah, is uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 16. It says, take up that shield of faith, put on that helmet of salvation, and then use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To use the sword of the Spirit. When we talk, as we saw in outwitting, it's a defense, defensive stance. It's preparing for the enemy to attack and, and standing your ground so that you're not going to be knocked over. When we talk about outplaying, the outplaying is an offensive stance. Is that we have to go into attack mode. To many, too, many, times, many times too often in our lives is we step back and we allow the enemy to just d demolish us. We allow the enemy just to come in and expect our, our armor to protect us, but we're not taking any ground. How many, how many get frustrated with the lack of ground you take spiritually? Come on, be honest. The lack of ground you take spiritually. Can I tell you that just like we are called to be in defensive mode and to hold the ground we have, we're also supposed to advance and to take ground. We're to take ground away from him. Uh, it's it's an, on the front. It's, on your, it's leaning in. It's, a, it's aggressively pursuing we have, a ch we have an opportunity when the enemy comes uh, to try and outwit us, whether that's with bait and, and temptation. We have a, a, a choice to just stand, which we need to stand, not succumb. Everyone say, don't succumb. We, we want to outplay him. We want to outwit him. We don't want to succumb to him. But can I tell you that not only are we to not succumb, 
We are to advance on him. We're to take away the leverage that he has in our lives. And it's so often we don't, we just go, phew, I survived that one. Phew, I survived that one. Rather than going, no, I'm going to advance. I am going to take ground from. I am not going to give another uh, foothold to the enemy in my life. And I can tell you that many times I'm guilty of it as well as I'm sure you are, that we may survive, we may not succumb, but how many have given the enemy a foothold in an area of your life? Temptations and testings come to us not because we are evil, but because we are human. And many times we'll come back and we go, well, the enemy is tempting me because I must have done something wrong. No, the enemy is tempting you just because you are in the image of Christ. And he wants to defeat that image of Christ in your life. So we talk about the shield of faith, even though it is a defensive mechanism, it is also offensive because that... That shield of faith was to push back the enemy. It was not just to protect from the fiery darts. It was as a ploy of of war as you were battling, hand battling with the sword, that you're shoving back with the the shield. It was part of of your warfare that was there. It was part of the uh, offensive methods. And the helmet of salvation, even though it is a defensive to protect your mind, but can I tell you that I'm saying that it's also offensive because it's the power of your thoughts. How many have lost the battle in your brain before you even begun the battle? Can I tell you today that for us to be aware, for us to be active, for us to outplay the enemy, we've got to win the battle here. We've got to stand in offense here. We've got to make ground and move forward in our thinking. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. And this is where we go on the attack. This is where Jesus said, it is written. Everyone say, it is written. If you don't know the Word of God, you can't say it is written. If you've not studied it, you've not memorized it, you've not meditated upon it, you have no ammunition to step forward in offense. And so many times what, needs, what happens is we, we may be standing, but we're, and we're not losing ground, but we're not winning ground. I can tell you there's been times in my life that I'm disappointed in my forward movement, and it's in the lack of offensive movement in my life, my lack of, lack of using the Word of God. You know what I love about this is it's, it's said as a, it's the sword of the Spirit, that it's Spirit-inspired. It's not flesh-inspired. Again, it's not a thing that we physically pick up. It's something that the Spirit of God inspires in us through the Word of God. Today, as we're hearing the Word of God, I'm praying and hoping, we're praying and hoping, that you're inspired somewhere by the power of the Word of God. That somewhere it's going to change you and change your thinking and change how you proceed forward. Um, This whole idea of being offensive is to have a strategy to win. When you think of a sports team, they have plays that are trying to outplay the opponent. Plays that are strategic to outplay someone else. Can I tell you that Jesus has given us the power to outplay and to strategize. He's out-strategized the enemy. And he has a plan for that. When I think of this word strategy, the definition of it is this, designed or trained to strike an enemy at the sources of its military, economic, and political powers. When we think about strategy, when we think about what God's wanting us to function in our offensive roles, can I tell you that I can look across the last two years and I can see the destruction of the enemy that he has used as a ploy against humanity where there's been disruption and where there's been warring and there's been rioting and there's been uh, polarization. Can I tell you that that's not flesh and blood activity? That's demonic activity. Amen? 
for us to recognize, for us to understand, that is an evidence of an opponent in our lives. For us to attack that strategy, for us to be uh, strategic, for us to take away territory from him, is to be aware of it and to move forward in our culture, to be a person who stands for righteousness, to be a person who doesn't get caught up in the, the political power game, but gets caught up in the God power game. When we step back and we understand this strategy, God's going, no, I want to empower you to be a victorious Christian. That's how you outplay the enemy. Not because you are powerful, but because God is power. Remember, it's in his, the power of, it's in his mighty power that we overcome. So point number four is that Christ has given us the power to outlast our opponent. Can you guys say outlast? Outlast. This word means to live or last longer than. In Ephesians 6, 13, in Ephesians 6, 13 um, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. You may be able to stand your ground and after done everything, stand. Standing firm against the enemy without wavering or falling is the goal, right? And the idea of standing firm is used in other passages of Scripture that we can kind of compare to what, um, what Paul is saying here. And the Greek word that's used here is um, the word histemi. Can you guys say histemi? I wish we spoke Greek today because it's way cooler than English, but it's all good. This word means um, to stop, stand still, to stand immovable, and stand firm. This word is also used in the passage 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, and that says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like, roaring, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We are not fighting our battles alone, and even if we feel like we cannot fight anymore, we can still stand strong, um, and it's what makes us outlast our opponent. The Battle of Waterloo um, is an example of how we should stand strong. And this is the battle that ended Napoleon's rule. And um, after defeating Napoleon at Waterloo, Lord Wellington said, our men were not braver than the enemy. They were brave five minutes longer. Faith and perseverance, perseverance is required for the battle. Remaining faithful until the battle is over five minutes longer will allow us to see the ultimate defeat of our enemy. And since the fall of men, every day has been evil. It's something we can't get away from because of the fall. And it's a condition that will persist until the Lord returns and establishes his righteous kingdom on earth. But because he won the war, even though we are fighting battles, we know where the victory is. Revelations 20.10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beasts and the false prophets were. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We know how the battle ends for Satan, but we also know how the battle ends for us. John, John 5.24-25 through 25 says that, uh, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So if we're going to outlast our opponent, we have to stand strong. We have to stand firm in knowing that Christ has the victory, and we have to um, put on the pieces of armor in order to do that. So, yeah. Awesome. I love that. Stand five minutes longer. Be braver five minutes longer. Someone needs to hear that today. Be brave five minutes longer. Be, be, just be brave five minutes longer. You know, I think that as we close today, this, this message, we can go, well, yeah, I've heard this passage of Scripture. Oh, yeah, this, the, this is important. Um, I think where I would come today and ask you this question is, it's not one of my response questions, but probably overarching all of them would be, how many have felt 
so discouraged by the continued defeat in your life. If you're here today and you felt discouraged by continued defeat in your life, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, can I tell you today, maybe financially, maybe in your family, relationally, I want you to know today that the enemy of your soul is not the circumstances of life. The enemy of your soul is Satan himself. And he will use the circumstances of life not just to make your life harder, but his goal is to defeat you. His goal is to demolish you, is to decimate you, is to bring utter destruction upon your life. And I remind you today that he has no remorse. When you're in a heap of tears, he could care less about your tears. He relishes that you're suffering. But we have the victor. And that victor cares about your pain. That victor cares about your suffering. That victor wants, he's fought this battle so that you will fight this battle. He's won this battle so that you can win this battle. And as we come to this conclusion today, where is it that you need to outwit the enemy? Where do you need to outplay the enemy? Some of you just need to play five minutes longer in the game. Some of you, rather than succumbing to or just giving up, you need to go, God, give me power to outlast. Give us power to outlast. James chapter 4 tells us this as we close. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to realize that this passage of Scripture shows us the defensive and the offensive. The submit to God. Is our defensive is to step into the armor and say, God, I'm surrendering to your power. I'm surrendering to your might. But the offensive is to resist the devil. To say, devil, no, you're not going to cross this boundary. You're not going to step into my family. You're not going to influence my thoughts. No, devil, you're not going to attack me in this area. No, God, no, devil, da, 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 da. And God, your word promises. And that's where we're at this morning. And we want to take an opportunity to pray for you. Come on, Sarah, would you do that? Would you stand to your feet today as we come? We believe wholeheartedly in playing the long game. We believe that this game that you and I are living is not just the 70-some years that you and I are going to be on planet Earth. And for us to recognize that there is an opponent, there is an enemy, and to engage in that battle in such fashion so that you are better at the end, that you're enduring till the end. And would you just walk through this passage of Scripture with us this morning? Would you come and would you just submit to God? We lift your hands in a form of surrender. Would you just do that today? Lay them out in front of you. God, today we come and we surrender to you. We submit to you. God, we submit to your power. We submit to your authority. We submit to the, the, the uh, armor of God and what it does in us. God, we submit and surrender to the truth we submit and surrender to the fact of righteousness. God, we thank you for the peace that we can stand in. God, these, these things of, of truth. God, the helmet of salvation. God, the shield of faith. God, we come and we submit to those powers in our lives. And God, today we thank you that you are watching over us and that this is not something that, that we have to uh, do in and of ourselves. It's a victory that you've already given us. But God also, in the name of Jesus, part of this is resisting the devil. So would you just put your hands out in front of you like you're resisting somebody? 
And God, in the name of Jesus, we come not in our power and in our might, but in the name of Jesus Christ and Satan, we address you today and we resist you in our lives. We stand in an offensive method and a sense, a sense of mode today. And God, in the name of Jesus, your word tells us that we don't rejoice over the enemy, but we rejoice in the one who has power over the enemy. So God, it's not our power, it's yours. And God, we are victorious today because of your power. And Satan, you have no authority in our lives. You have no authority in our circumstances. Where is it that you need to resist the enemy? God, we pray over our families today. We pray over our minds today. God, we pray over our children today. We pray over marriages today. We pray over our finances and our jobs and our communities. And in the name of Jesus, God, we resist the enemy. God, we pray over this war in Russia and Ukraine. And God, we come in an offensive manner today. Come on, church. And we resist the enemy, those powers that are ruling, those powers that are ordering, those powers that are bringing confusion. And God, we declare peace in the name of Jesus. God, we know that this battle, whether it's in Russia and Ukraine or this battle that we are facing here on this planet, is not flesh and blood. God, make us aware. Make us aware. Make us determined to win. God, we thank you today. We thank you today. God, I pray that as a result of today, God, that hearts and minds would be focused. God, make us aware. God, help us not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. And God, we thank you for it today. God, as we think of the series, playing the long game, playing this game into eternity, God, make our lives count. Help us to make our lives count. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we score points for you. God, it's not about us. It's not about how people perceive us. It's how people receive you. So God, help us, God, to live our lives in such a way that honors you. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Our prayer team is coming forward this morning. Sarah, thank you for participating. with. Would you give her a round of applause? She did amazing. She's a rock star so proud of her. Thank you for coming today. We're going to be finishing the series next Sunday, and you're, you're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you come next Sunday to hear the final message of this. And God bless you. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you in days to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.